Hi, this is Carmen and Arshia, and, and welcome, welcome to Out the Cocoon. Cocoon. Hi everybody! Today we'll be speaking about youth activism and we thought it was really important to do an episode on this because obviously the youth are the future of the world and it's really important for students and young adults to engage in activism and voicing their opinions and needs in order to shape their own future. Today we have two special guests joining us, Emily Zoe and Cameron Izuka. Welcome everyone! Hey! Hi! Yeah, it's really great to be on and talk to you guys about activism. Happy to be here. Number one fan. I'm Emily. I'm in 10th grade. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a type 3 Enneagram. That's my one thing. <laughs> um, I'm Cameron. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a senior at LOHS. And I guess just as a short list of things I do and my identity. Um, I'm a four on the Enneagram scale. Um, I'm an Aquarius, but I don't prescribe to the zodiac signs. Sorry, to the... (laughs) She won't let me convert her. Um, Tragic. (laughs) I'm kind of involved in the community i don't know we'll we'll get to that later i suppose thank you guys for being on the podcast so we can just get into the convo now so what role do you think activism plays in your life and how is it important to you personally specifically student activism anti-racist etc etc i mean personally i'll just jump into this i think activism is kind of conflated to be um, kind of anything. Like if you say Black, Black Lives Matter in your bio, that's almost seen as activism, but that's more of a political statement. I think that activism is something that we do internally and externally. Like with internally, you're working on breaking down biases and trying to re-educate yourself about issues happening in society and to people that don't look like you. But then externally, you're using that new information to try to go out and do work that's important. So I think my understanding of activism is that it's something that all people should be doing, whether it's 10 minutes a day or that's literally your job. And I don't think it should be something that's super important, um, or it is important, but it shouldn't be important for individuals to be doing. It should be a collective that we're all working towards. No, yeah, I completely agree. Um, Yeah, I feel like a lot of people like, I mean, obviously it's good that people are working on it internally, but I think like the word activist is used a lot. In my life, um, I like to call myself an activist. I don't know, I'm part of a lot of like organizations like um, Oregon Student Voice. I'm the co-executive director of, I work on like Project Lotus and Students Demand Action, Um, but yeah. They do like a lot of different things and I think a lot of times people when they think of activism they only think about anti-racist activism which is obviously like a super important form but there's like lots of different types of activism like students demand action is like preventing gun violence um and like OSV obviously is like student voice activism so yeah. I'd have to agree with everything you guys have said so far and for me at least I'm also a part of OSV and recently like because of um just like myself i've been more educated about everything going on around me and i've been trying to like join more student collectives etc so yeah 
Yeah, I also agree with everything everyone said. And I agree with Cameron that activism kind of starts with, like, educating yourself. Um, Obviously, I'm a woman of color, so I feel like that kind of pushes me to be more involved in certain things. That doesn't mean that you only have to be a person of color to get involved in things, but I definitely think that's played a big role in, like, pushing me to um, use my voice, I guess, to help those that are oppressed and marginalized. Yeah, and I think we're in a really interesting position because, like, like as women of color, like, obviously we, like, face a lot of, like, systemic discrimination, but, like, also we live in, like, a very privileged Mm -hmm. place. So it's, like, combining, like, our personal experiences, but also, like, using our privilege for good to, like, uplift others. Yeah, I think that that's a really big component of activism, too, is recognizing that there's intersectionality to who we are as individuals, and you could be a woman of color, but you may also benefit from a cishet normative society because um, or even like class privilege or just education privilege because we live in a district that um, puts a lot of money and resources into um, our education and other Mm -hmm. parts of wellness rather than like a police department Um, yeah so I think that that's a really good thing to point out too Um, I forgot to mention this earlier but I'm involved with um, the district's diversity equity and inclusion advisory committee so I'm the co-chair and then I'm also involved with respond to racism and LO for love and then the the equity councils at the high school so I'm mostly talking about anti-racism here but I think that like what Emily was talking about it does stretch to just all student activism like gun violence and just using our voices to uplift or um, empower people who are less privileged than us. Um, what types of things do you feel that young people have to overcome when getting involved in activism? Um, okay, I can go. Uh, I think, obviously, like, one of the biggest constraints is, like, our age. Like, I think, especially working in, like, a student voice and, like, education advocacy realm, like, a lot of adults are, like, you don't understand, like, budgets or, like, like you don't understand that like there's a limited amount of resources and they like like brushing us off so like for example um like we'll go into meetings and they'll be like scheduled like during school hours which is ironic because it's like education (laughs) you're like advocating for education and then you skip school to like go to these meetings but yeah I'd say like time and like just like people's perceptions of students is that like they don't understand or like like students are like too radical and stuff like that yeah, I think that's a pretty funny thing to point out. I've, I've noticed that in working with the schools, at least, that there's a weird dichotomy there where you're given less responsibility because you're a student, but then also if you're a person of color or um, you're just really interested and passionate about something, people push a lot of work onto you. So at least with one of the challenges that we've had with the LOHS Equity Council is that there aren't a lot of students that are on the the committee, so then um, they end up doing a lot of the work and leading the meetings, but they also don't have a lot of power to tell teachers that they need to include BIPOC voices in their curriculum or that they need to um, be respectful of people's different gender expressions. So there's not a lot of power, but sometimes you're expected to do too much. 
Yeah, it's a lot of, like, tokenism, or, like, tokenization. I don't... Either word. But, like, yeah, especially, like, as a person of color, like, you get asked... Or I feel like I feel like Asians, especially in our school district, are asked less often than, like, say, like, Black Student Union, which is, like... I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's even more tokenism, but um, it's, like, they ask for like the same people's opinions but then don't listen to them if that makes sense for me i like would ha- i agree with everything you guys have said obviously but something that i would say like the most that i've experienced at least is if i'm trying to have a conversation with like my parents about something that like obviously like most sometimes they like don't understand they won't take me seriously because like um they're like, oh, you don't know anything, like, you're just this, like, you're just a kid, you won't, you don't, like, have a person, you can't have an opinion on this, or you can't, you, like, don't really know what's happening, but it's, like, I have taken the time to, like, try to talk to about this with you, but you are not listening, Mm -hmm. so that's, at least for me, that's what I would say. Yeah, I kind of agree with Carmen, a lot of people, even people that are really close to me, like, my family, have been like have told me a lot of times oh like you you'll understand when you're older oh you don't get it right now but maybe you'll get it in the future you don't I don't think you understand and I feel like that's really discouraging because wouldn't you want people like young people to get involved in these types of things but then by saying that oh like you won't understand that's like so discouraging Um, that's one of the main things I've had to overcome. Um, I know a lot of people have a fear of being ostracized, not necessarily me, because I feel like I interact with a lot of people that have the same, like, views as me on political issues and social issues, but a lot of people have a fear of being ostracized or are scared to differ from um their family or like their close ones political views so i think that plays a big role into being um scared to like get in get involved in activism yeah and i feel like a lot of times it's like a lack like they tell you that you don't understand but then they don't want to explain like their view they kind of just say that as a way to like brush you off Mm -hmm. and ignore you um, which is, yeah, like, I agree, like, really discouraging. It's, like, I'm open to hearing why you think I don't understand, like, the nuances mm-hmm. of a problem. But if you're not going to explain it to me, then, like, I don't want to hear your, like, claims about how I don't understand. Yeah, at least over yeah. on Sunday or over the weekend when the Super Bowl was going on and people were talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and why mm-hmm. um, that stereotype of Native Americans is very harmful, not only to native culture but especially to native children and um like learning about their cultural identity and i posted something on my story about it and uh i don't even follow my cousin but i guess my call my cousin follows me and they're <laughs> kind of an anti-masker and um evangelical christian white man and he just responded to all of my stories with the laughing crying emoji and at that point Aww. it's kind of like there is no dialogue here. You are being blocked. Thank you, sir. No, yeah, I felt that. I feel like I post a lot. Or I, you guys know I post a lot on my story. Mm-hmm. Um, like when, like, I don't know. Like I just post a lot of my story about different things. And there's like a lot of people that slide up. And like, I obviously as a student activist, I always want to engage in a dialogue. But I feel like 
at a certain point, like, people are just looking for, like, an argument, um, and, like, like, I remember over the summer when people were talking about, like, burning flags, um, I posted some stuff, and just, like, a lot of people were sliding up, and then I would, like, respond, like, really, like, thoroughly, and, like, explaining my side, and then they would just respond with, like, like, oh, like, F, or, like, L, or, like, the laughing, crying emoji, and it's, like, if, like, why would you slide up if you don't want to start a conversation? Like, I don't want to, like, talk to a brick wall. Like, I know what I think. I don't need to hear myself talk. Um, I find it really hard to, like, stand up for, like, use my voice to talk about little things that happen, like, microaggressions, because, like, microaggressions are a huge issue, but, like, when I bring them up to people, specifically adults in, like, elderly people they're like oh that's not real racism that's not real sexism you haven't seen real racism and i'm like well you have to start picking out those little things you can't just let them go and i feel like it's been really hard for me like to um explain why that's an issue why those little things are an issue because they're not so little they maybe it's just a comment but it's it's got a lot more power than it like seems, but it's been really hard for me to um, explain how that's like harmful, I guess. Yeah, they think it's like, mm-hmm. if you're not being called a slur, then yeah. like, it's not racism. Like one of my teachers constantly mixes up me and the only other Asian girl mm-hmm. in our class. There's mm-hmm. eight people in our class. Like you can learn our names. Like I've, I, I've had this teacher for like three years um, and she mixes me up with like, one of the other eight students um and like I know she doesn't do it on purpose and I know she like like I know her political views but it just like like it can ruin your day when like you get mixed up with like the only other person and then people are just like well you look really similar and I'm like yes I'm I'm like I I disagree but you know maybe I'm just conceited that's happened to me so many times like people would be like oh you have the same hair like you guys look it's the like, same. Okay, you guys, so you guys, I remember population. when that happened. Oh my I god! I, in um science class in eighth grade, I had this one incident where a student was like, "Oh, I want to be okay." Let's just use like a random name. Uh, the other person, the other brown person. Let's just say her name was like Susie or something like that. So this student was like, "Oh, I want to be partners with Susie," and I was like, "Susie's not in this class," and they were like. I want to be partners with Susie. And I was like, um, what do you mean? And they were like, your name's Susie, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> my name's Arshia. And they were just like, no, you're Susie. <laughs> like, they I like, told you who you were. Forced, like, their own, I don't even know. Like, I think I would know what my name is, right? Like, they. I don't know Arshia. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Are you and sure? Then you I, know and your then name? I was like, no, that's like a different person. And they were like, oh, you guys look the same. Like, you guys have the same hair. You kind of look the same from the, like, back. So I thought it was. Just you. say you have the same color skin. Like, it's like, at that you're just point, making just me like, even... And, like, who are you to tell me what my name is? Hello? <laughs> Rude. Like, you would be joking. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, my name is Susie. Like, <laughs> no, actually, I stole her identity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or it's like ugh, I feel like it's less so now but like in middle school people would be like like people wouldn't even know me and they'd be like I want to be partners with you and I'd be like I don't know who you are and they're like but you're Asian you're smart I'm yeah like, that's why they well I'm like well yeah I am a genius hello but like you don't know that about me <laughs> One, the next question we had was 
what main topics are you like super passionate about advocating for and I know there's like a lot of like I don't know yeah what main topics are you super passionate about I feel like we're passionate about everything that we advocate for but I don't know (laughs) yeah I could start us off um I think that I've been seeing one post going around that kind of encapsulates my ideas of like what activism is, where it's just a drawing of this this um, character holding a sign that says like feminism is blank, and then there's like ten different slides about what that means. And feminism is um, like advocating for BIPOC voices. It's um, saying or it's denouncing white supremacy, and it's uh, it's advocating for indigenous voices and um, going against anti-Semitism. It's kind of like intersectionality, but saying that activism is intersectional in practice. I think that for me, my main concerns are anti-racism and decolonization, just with the the main issues and the groups that I work with. But within that, that also means talking about anti-Semitism, ableism, genderism, you know, talking about police and like abolition. I think that you don't have to be a single, like just because you're a single issue activist, that doesn't really mean that you're an activist or that you are a certain political affiliation because um, politics is everywhere. Everything is politics and if your mm-hmm. bodies are being policed by politics, then you have to talk about all of those different issues at the same time or yeah. just make sure that you're open-minded about what issues you're talking about and be inclusive in your activism. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, intersectionality is super important. And I think people who who say they're, like, single, what is it, single-issue activists, like, oftentimes show a lot of privilege um, because I think... The other day I was talking to my friend about this. I was like, wow, I'm kind of like really marginalized. Like I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, um, I'm LGBTQ. So it's like, I don't know, it's like all of these things. Um, but also like I'm upper middle class and like I'm Asian, which like comes with like a certain privilege with it. Like I'm not as marginalized as like black or indigenous or Latinx populations. Um, but I think, like, intersectionality is really important, um, which is why I think I'm so involved with student voice, because it's advocating for, like, all students, regardless of, like, ability or, like, race or gender or anything like that. For me, I, well, once again, I say this, like, every time, I agree with, like, all you guys, what you guys are saying, and I think you can't advocate for, like, let's say you can't advocate for, like, Black Lives Matter without also advocating for, like, women, LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. And like etc. So yeah, intersectionality. Um. Okay. So intersectionality is like understanding like the layers of somebody's identity and like it's it's not like I always see this metaphor where it's like it's not like addition. It's not like you face the marginalization of being a woman and being like someone of color. It's it's not like an addition equation. It's like the layers of someone's identity and like how that affects their experiences when they're going through life. Yeah, I was just going to add a little bit of the background on it. I, um, It came about in the 80s, and the person who kind of coined it, her name is Kimberly Crenshaw, and she was a lawyer, um, and she first coined it because she was working with um, a woman who was black, and she was hired from a job that she was uh or she was fired from a job that she was recently appointed to. And when they were trying to argue that she was um, discriminated against for 
um, because of her race and because of her gender, it was difficult because before then people had only really looked at it through a one-dimensional lens. So, for example, uh, the place that she was working at argued that she could not be discriminated against because there were white women who worked there and there were black men that worked there. But as a black woman, she faced a different kind of discrimination than anyone else who was employed there because most of the black men were uh, working in like the, the auto shop and most of the white women were secretaries and she was trying to be a secretary. So it's exactly like what Emily is saying. It's just looking at people um, through a lens that they're more than just one identity. And it's kind of like, to quote Shrek, um, it's kind of like an <laughs> onion. We're different layers of people and we have to consider that in looking and talking about like identity politics. Yeah, for sure. That's a good metaphor, actually. Um, so this is something that comes up in, a, like, my friend group, or just, like, I feel like conversation a lot is, especially with um, the increase of social media activism, but do you think, like, performative activism is real? Obviously, I feel like we all think that that is real, <laughs> but what are your guys' um, like, thoughts on it? And yeah. And for anybody that doesn't know what performative activism means, by definition on the internet, trust the old internet, it says it's referring to activism done to increase one's social capital rather than because of one's devotion to a cause. It is often associated with surface-level activism referred to as slacktivism. I don't know if I've ever heard that before, but yep, <laughs> there it is. Um... <laughs> I think performative activism is real. I don't know how I... I think I go back and forth on what my opinions are because I think on one hand, it's like obviously like anybody who gets involved in the cause is like doing good for the community regardless of what their intent is. But at the same time, it's okay. Like we talk about this in student government um, and it's like people donating to like look good versus people donating because they like in like support the cause like either way the money is going towards helping people but it's like yeah I don't know I'm really conflicted about it I think the worst thing is when people like post a lot on social media and like have like BLM in their bio but then are like friends with white supremacists mm -hmm. or like refuse to call out mm -hmm. people obviously like assuming that it's safe for them to do so because I understand not everybody is in the same circumstances but like if you're going to like post all those things and like call yourself an activist but then refuse to call it out in your own life like I feel like that to me is the embodiment of performative activism and I think that is like one of my biggest pet peeves but the rest of it I'm kind of like iffy about um I'm gonna kind of have to disagree with you on the Ouch. On the thing about everyone who's, like, supporting the cause is doing good. Because, I don't know, sometimes when people are just reposting and reposting and reposting, it drowns out the voices of, like, the people That's that true. are already, like, the people that are being marginalized and the people that you're, quote-unquote, like, standing up for. But, like, once you, once there's people that aren't passionate about that and keep, like... I don't know, like, reposting stuff and pretending to be activists and while they don't really care about the issue, it kind of just drowns out the people that 
you're trying to lift up, I guess. So sometimes it can be an issue when there's too many people, but I also agree that like the more the better, but I don't know. Sometimes it gets out of hand and does more harm than good. I definitely think that performative activism is real. And I agree with Emily on the fact that like, like her pet peeve was that people don't, they don't walk the talk, I guess. <laughs> like they preach yeah. what like this stuff, but then they don't apply it to their own lives. And that's really yeah. irritating because like, come on. You're going to tell other people to do stuff, but then you're just going to let it happen in front of you. Like, not cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, like, talking just to talk mm-hmm. and just for, like, other people to see it. Because I know, like, when, or, like, around June when everyone started, like, becoming more aware of, mm-hmm. or at least, like, for me, at least, I was able to kind of, just because, like, in my household, I wasn't, like, educated about that. Um, so, like, through social media, I was, a, a, like, able to learn a lot. Um, but sometimes there's just, like, some people that you know don't, like, you see them post mm-hmm. something and it's, like, do you really believe what you're it's like, like maybe you're you're different. It's, like, didn't you the N-word, like, two months yeah. ago? It's, like, do you really believe what you're posting and, like, or are you just doing it to put on, um, like... A better image for yourself because everyone's doing it now. Yeah, like this, this, like that. they're jumping on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, like the bandwagon also like has educated. Yeah, it, the that's true. Going to a great but bus like, station. It's like, <laughs> but it's like there's like a line, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, like I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping with calling yourself an activist. Um, which I think can be really harmful, especially for people that are just getting started. Um, like I, like I think it's really blurry. Um, like I know a lot of people when they're first getting into activism might be put off because people call them like performative because they're like just getting into the cause. And obviously like we want as many people as possible to be on the cause, but I like, like Arshia said, or I don't, yeah, like Arshia said, like there's like a line but I, I just don't know really where to draw the mm-hmm. line. I think that, um, like, one thing that I kind of find ironic is people's reactions to the Black Lives Matter movement protests that we've seen mm-hmm. over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading an article from um, Jeffrey C. Harris, and he's a professor at Columbia, um, and he was talking about how in the civil rights movement that was obviously a huge movement to have very specific goals like um, increasing housing and job distribution and ensuring voting rights for black people but with the black lives matter movement it's more of a movement for humanity where it's like we're trying to say that black people are equal and that they are entitled to reparations and that they need justice but then over the summer we just see a lot of people posting so that way they look good and that mm-hmm. kind of comes mm-hmm. to a head when we're like trying to identify who the real activists are and um, yeah. what performativism really is. But I think my idea of performative activism is that if you're doing something where you are talking about an issue or calling it out, but then you're not really tr- seeking to dismantle that system that benefits you, 
then that's not real activism. Mm-hmm. Because like we're talking about, there's so much privilege from the the white activists or the cisgender heterosexual activists or the abled activists, and then they're not really seeking to dismantle things like ableism or patriarchy or white supremacy that is still like continuing. So I think that while it's great that people are donating money or they're setting up different like profiles where they're posting um if that's educating people with the wrong reasons that can still be harmful and i think that the perfect kind of performative activism is like when gal gadot and all those celebrities did the imagine video and they just oh my gosh that like crosses my mind every like probably like once a month and i'm just like when they just sang and then it really did nothing it just called out that COVID exists and that people are in pain, but it it didn't actually help any marginalized people. Yeah, um, one last thing about the performative activism, or from me, one last thing from me. Um, I feel like back to intersectionality, like I feel like performative activism oftentimes is that like single issue activism where like people will be advocating for Black Lives Matter, but then turn around and like perpetuate extremely anti-Semitic like ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I feel like that also to me is performative activism where people like only advocate for like feminism, but then don't advocate for the rights of like black Mm -hmm. women. I think that that's really dangerous too right now, because what we're seeing with the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans, that also Mm -hmm. leads to a discussion about anti-blackness and colorism and then increasing Mm -hmm. policing in black neighborhoods Mm -hmm. where it's like, if we're trying to uplift people of color, that doesn't mean pointing the finger at another group. Yeah. yeah. And it's like in like in June with all the BLM stuff, it was like people are advocating for like black, indigenous and like Latinx people, which is like awesome, but then turn around and like blame Chinese mm-hmm. people for the virus. Which it's like still it's like perpetuating white supremacy while trying to dismantle white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And also, I feel like TikTok always like finds its way uh, into TikTok. our conversation. But I know there was like the, um, like the that like running joke with like the Emily like or not em- like, the Emily like a cab like yeah that hurts because my name is Emily. Like, Wait, what? We're, we're Wait, what? With Emily? Yeah, I don't know about like, this Emily. There was, it's kind of like, I don't know if like you guys have seen it, but basically it's kind of a joke where it's like, a lot of like guys would use it, obviously, because yeah. hashtag um, misogyny, but um, they'd be like, oh, when you try to say something, but then like Emily, um, Emily ACAB BLM with her dyed blue hair um, does yeah. this, this, oh, and that. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, it's oh, like okay. making fun of like white privileged activists, but like like it I don't think co-opt is the right word, but it like uses like it like puts ACAB and like BLM in like the wrong context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just I like it's like think of it. It just rubs me the wrong way. It always makes me upset when I see those. Yeah, and like I think the trend like they were talking about like at first it was um I don't even know, like, how to explain it. At first, it was kind of, like, a performative activist. Like, they were making fun of, like, a performative activist. Um, and then it Kind just, of, like, yeah. oh, she just put it in her bio and this, this, and that. But then she goes to, like, party and, like, 
doesn't care about anything, blah, blah, blah. And then it just became like, oh, um, like, she's dumb. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like making I, fun of real activists. Ew. Um, yeah, like it was really, activists. it was odd and just, yeah. I don't know. Extremely unnecessary. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk burnout. I, cause I've been feeling really burnt out. I saw this TikTok that was about how it's because Mercury is in retrograde, <laughs> um, <laughs> which could be true. I don't know. Um, either way, it ends on the twenty first of February. So eleven days of burnout, supposedly. But um, I don't know. Like especially with um, like the increase in Asian American hate crimes lately. Like, a lot of people have been posting about it, and it's also, like, Lunar New Year's Eve is tomorrow, um, which, like, normally around this time is, like, when I'm most proud to be Asian, um, just because, like, I don't know, there's so much celebration mm-hmm. and, like, happiness um, and, like, celebration of Asian culture, but now there's, like, so many, like, hate crimes, which obviously, like, hurts to see, and I'm, like, obviously very glad that people are posting about it, but I have had to, like, force myself to log off of social media for, like, a day or something just because it like it's really like discouraging to like continuously Mm -hmm. see like people that look like you being hate crimed and like I don't know I feel like it's very easy to be burnt out especially when you're like so close to the issue if that makes sense yeah I think at least for me I feel a lot of burnout too when on social media um I ultimately get a lot of posts about social justice and activism just because Mm -hmm. that's kind of the feed that is programmed for me so when I'm on TikTok or something and I see this like tiny creator talking about some issue that's going on I almost feel a personal guilt if I would skip that or if I would not do my best Mm -hmm. to like boost it and comment and share it or something so it's hard to want to go onto something like TikTok and just go for a laugh or some kind of small amount of joy, but then you just kind of feel a guilt. Giggle. Yes, yeah. a giggle would be great, but you just kind of feel... <laughs> a chuckle. <laughs> guilt. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. But I feel like like I've been trying to... Like, I've been talking to one of my friends who's also, like, a huge activist, and we, like, constantly remind each other that, like, it's okay to, like, take a moment to yourself and, like, take care of yourself first. Um, Because ultimately, like, that's going to help you the most. Because if you, like, completely burn out, like, on activism, then, like, obviously you're not going to be able to help, like, as much as the community as you can. But it is hard sometimes because it's, like, you see it in, like, every lens of your life and you just want to do everything you can. But sometimes... Like, everything you can is, like, not enough. Or, like, it exhausts you. Um, how do you think our education system could improve in regards to what we are taught about social issues that are prevalent in our society? I could kind of talk about this a little bit because right now in the school district, there's been the ethnic studies class, which is proposed. Mm -hmm. They just talked about that today. Oh, good. So, like, apparently they're, like, gonna offer it? Or that's what they made it seem like? Um, with how they voted on it, it seems like at both Lakeridge and LOHS, there will be two ethnic studies classes um, that will be phased in by 2025. And one of them will be a class that is mandatory for juniors and seniors to take. And then there will be another one that is 
um, slightly different. That's like the the precursor to that that freshman and sophomore take, and that's an optional class. I'm not sure exactly why they decided to make that one an elective versus both of them just mandatory because that was one of the proposed options. Um, so it'd be kind of like a health class where you have to get both of your credits by the time you graduate. Um, but that's the current plan. I think though that even beyond an ethnic studies class, there needs to be an anti-racist curriculum that's implemented Mm -hmm. where it's not just one class, but it's in all classes where stories are, um, like multicultural stories are talked about, where it's including of BIPOC voices, Jewish voices, queer voices, and it's not trying to make it seem like we are like creating an ethnic studies class to explore other voices because America is like just the melting pot. (laughs) I feel like the melting pot example of America is so um, annoying because we're kind of a salad bowl. Each person is individual and represents Mm -hmm. a culture from their background, but having a curriculum that is representative of America that we live in and that we all bring in different perspectives based on identity is what we really need. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, our education system gives us a very narrow view of like everything, like everything we're taught, about, everything, everything we're taught about anyone that's ever been like oppressed. Like they teach us so little. They don't go in depth. Okay, mm-hmm. like I don't. Yeah, I don't like, want to attack the matter. education system, but. I do. <laughs> because I, we love our teachers and they do a lot for us, but um, this is like a bigger issue. It's not um, like an issue. It's with not like really an issue. Yeah, it's the Department of Education. So um, they don't teach us the details of everything. They don't really give us a full picture. Like we were all like we were taught, quote unquote, taught about racism, but. We never we were also quote unquote taught that it ended. Yeah, exactly. After, like black people like uh-huh. have, like constitution. We're taught rights. like really surface level stuff, and um, I recently was in this like discussion, and we were like, we were going through a slideshow that um the like host had like uh made that like talked about Oregon's history with racism and just like interesting things about you know like, racist occurrences that have happened that, like, we haven't been taught in schools. And it was really interesting. I was, like, so surprised. Like, obviously, I was familiar with the fact that, like, racism still exists and stuff. But, like, the slideshow we looked at, I just, like, it made me realize how, like, little we are taught in schools. Not even about, like, what's happening now, but stuff that happened in the past, like, pre-Civil War and stuff. And, like, they didn't teach us a lot about slavery, and they haven't taught us a lot about what's going on in Oregon. I feel that since, like, when you think of racism, like, at least for a long time when I thought of racism, I thought of, like, the South. Like, the North was all good. Like, everyone was happy. Yeah. But that really warped my, like, vision. And after I saw that slideshow, I was like, wait, whoa. Hold up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought we were all liberals. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 I felt that. I thought that for a long time. Yeah. But I feel like I you students really have to go digging for their own information even though it should yeah. be really 
necessary and it should be like mandatory for schools to teach that type of thing yeah and it's even like even in like stem classes you don't really think of it but like in biology we learn about like historical figures who like made important discoveries and like I'm lucky I think I've had a lot of teachers who stress the importance of looking at like women and like BIPOC and like different people's perspectives but like the mandatory curriculum talks about like Isaac Newton Mm -hmm. who's a white man and like Einstein who's another white man um and it like ignores a lot of like people's a lot of like marginalized communities yeah instrumental role in like their success I think one thing um like over the summer I think that we can all say that we learned a lot and Mm -hmm. that was kind of a really big step is that unlearning portion of it because Mm -hmm. when we've learned in school I think the easiest one to talk about is like Christopher Columbus um just the way that the schools reinforce that like this week really like we just learned about that he's like like, not a good dude Actually, a no. genocidal genocidal warmonger? That feels like a good title for him. And, like, President's Day is this weekend. And Abraham Lincoln was also very racist. Like, when we think about Abraham Lincoln, we talk about the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. but then we forget to mention that he said in many speeches that black people should be segregated from white people and that we should have shipped all enslaved persons yeah, he wanted to, ship them back. to Liberia and then start a colony there. So Colonization and racism. And racism. Well, I guess they were the same thing, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Intersectionality. <laughs> I think, though, that... If we had an anti-racist curriculum, it would be most beneficial in courses outside of social studies and history, because yeah. in STEM, we need to hear more about different like different groups of people and voices. Definitely. That would also be great in an art class or even in English. I think learning to kill mm-hmm. a mockingbird in freshman year really sets up yeah, the idea why? that it's like... <laughs> um, that it, that's that's the epitome of what the black experience is like in America and that white saviorism yeah. is okay. Because even if we did Literally. teach it, but we taught it with a different lens or we taught it with multiple lenses of people um, other than the white lady who wrote it, that would be even better. But we're not there yet. That's literally so embarrassing. <laughs> like we're like okay we're reading to kill a mockingbird to learn about the like the experiences of black people but it's written by a white woman like <laughs> thank god they didn't say the n-word oh my god I Wait, know. Did so she... many teachers say that white lady writes about this experiences anyways. of black people there's like <sighs> i know they read some some classes read the hate you uh the hate you give yeah we read that yeah, we read the hate you give mm-hmm. um we did not year. which is funny. but it wasn't even like a book that we discussed with the class it was something you read over the summer and then you wrote about, talked about you, it you like, talked about it like about it once cute <laughs> that's education yeah i mean we were taught by a white cisgender heterosexual man some people know who I'm talking about. Some people do not. But um, he he loves to pretend to be a liberal, but he's definitely a centrist. And I don't know, just like you can tell 
like in the discussions you have in the class, especially in a place as white as where we live, even talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, like there's a lot of white saviorism in those conversations and like teachers don't really call that out ever. Even when we did learn the To Kill a Mockingbird, like, curriculum, they didn't... I know, like, the stories about Scout and, like, mm-hmm. this, this, and that, but even our teacher, like, didn't even focus really on, mm-hmm. like, their experience other than, oh, these people were racist and it's bad. And yeah. then, like, let's move on and talk about Scout's mommy issues. Like, Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't... Our school district, like, puts on a front of being, oh. like, very, like... Yeah. Um, inclusive. Anti-racist and, like, so inclusive and everything, but it's like, uh, are you sure? Oh, I, feel like, I feel like they provided it's us so with awesome. some information, I guess, but regarding, like, the experiences of black people, but it was more for, like, context. It wasn't, like, you yeah. guys need to learn about this because this is, like, fundamental, it was just like it was just like you guys need to learn about this because you guys don't know anything and the book won't make sense otherwise you know like it wasn't like Mm -hmm. educational it was just like a background thing yeah i think that's really good to point out because this has this conversation has kind of turned into a to kill a mockingbird like hate train (laughs) and i love that but also just to really hammer that in there was a full scene where people were about to lynch a character, and uh-huh. then that was background to the plot. Yeah, it's like, it's like also people are being lynched. Our That's teacher was scout. like, yeah, no, our teacher was like, oh my gosh, guys, this chapter we read last night. Let's talk about it. Okay, so this, so um, scout like ran from the dog, right? Mm-hmm. And then a black man was almost lynched, and then. Let's talk about how Atticus came home from work and how <laughs> yeah. Scout saw him and, like, the expression on her face. Let's talk about I remember that. they were like, like mm. am I remembering To Kill a Mockingbird, right? But Atticus comes to, like, the jail or whatever before he was, before um, the guy was going to get lynched. And he was like, hey, like, you guys better not do it. We, like, talked <laughs> about, like, how Atticus was, like, the big, like, hero and was like, hey, uh. you bad guys. <laughs> Stop! Cut it out! <laughs> we didn't talk about the man literally get like a, that was about to get lynched. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Do you feel that there's a correct age to get engaged in politics and social issues? And for me, I would say no because I feel like um, it starts from like I. Like, you see with little... I remember I always see these videos on my For You page. I don't know why, but my algorithm is, like, you know? But it's, like, racism is almost... It's, like, taught... Like, you don't see, mm-hmm. like, two, like, kindergartners, like, hate crimeing each other. Like, they're, like, gonna... Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. Well, sometimes like, they are taught at that age to be, like, hateful. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, like, I was bullied in kindergarten for being Asian. Yeah, so it's, like, the way that, like, your parents raise you and, mm-hmm. like, what you're taught in school and this, this, and that. And so I feel like it should just be incorporated into, like, almost everything we do or basically mm-hmm. everything we do. I mean, because always... it's, like, society. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I always see this quote that's like, it's a privilege to learn about racism rather than like having, I, I forget what it, what it is, but it's like, it's a privilege to learn about racism instead of experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really resonates because I think, I feel like kids who identify with historically marginalized communities have to learn about the discrimination that they're going to face from a very young age. Um, so like people of color like learn from a really young age like why like I went home after kindergarten I like told my mom I wanted blonde hair and blue eyes um and we had like the like oh like you're not white talk (laughs) um and I was like six um so I feel like it's it's a privilege to be able to like choose when to get involved Mm -hmm. that said I feel like like, there's a lot of research that shows that, like, especially for student voice, like, kids can start giving feedback about, like, their education in starting in, like, when they're nine. Um, so it's, like, a lot of times people, especially with younger kids, like, I feel like high schoolers, maybe they take a little bit more seriously. But, like, in middle school and elementary school, adults are just like, oh, that's cute. Like, you think people should have rights. Like, instead <laughs> of, like... <laughs> Instead of, like, I don't know, taking them seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. I don't think there's a correct age. Like, I feel like as long as you know what you're, like, using your voice for, um, I think you should get engaged. Like, I don't know. There's no better time than the present, I guess. Ugh, that's such a yep. cheesy phrase. But, like why would you wait around when you could like start to work towards something like the earlier you the earlier you start the more you can do I guess and like the more people you can help I guess and I think that a lot of times like when little kids are able to grasp the fact that oh like this person's getting treated like differently than this person like I think that just like proves a point that like if someone with like such a like quote-unquote simple mind is able to like grasp that issue then like there's something that's significantly wrong with our society yeah yeah. there's some with our society not with the kid (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i was gonna say not 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 the kid but um i always see these tiktoks of like teachers that are teaching like they're really little kids like about and like they're like kindergartners or whatever about anti-racism And, like, especially with, like, Black History Month. Um, So, like, yeah, I think, like, it it might be more difficult to teach them since they can't grasp, like, what's the word? Like, non-material concepts. But, like, they understand when, like, somebody is treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. Like, they understand the concept of fairness, which I think then means they are able to grasp the concept of, like, making sure that everyone is treated equally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would really, I agree a lot with what y'all are saying. And I think that um, just looking at what studies have kind of shown, implicit Mm -hmm. biases or preferences can occur in as early as like preschool for kids. So Mm -hmm. I think that even if they might not understand all of the language, like, of course, you can't 
maybe talk to a four-year-old and say, like, this is what systemic racism is, or <laughs> this is an institutional problem. You could talk about preferences and say that people look different than one another. Or mm -hmm. even today on TikTok, I saw a really heartwarming video that a teacher made, and they were non-binary, and they talked about, um, or it was just a video of their, uh, their students um, introducing themselves and going like, hi, teacher, so-and-so, oh, yeah. nice to I see you. That. I saw that one. That was <laughs> When so we cute. all have the same For You page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, kids can understand these things. I don't yeah. think that it should mm -hmm. mean that their voices are any limited or that they should just be ignorant. Because as, you know, Arshia, you were saying, if we don't talk to them about these problems, then suddenly they're just going to be culture shocked and they're going to be like dropped into high school or middle school and f face more of these problems and not really be able to um, be activists or feel like they have the power to do so. Um, I think also too that we're talking a bit about how people of historically marginalized groups obviously experience racism, ableism, genderism, and they know that these are real problems. So it's really unfair then for people who are, or children who are privileged to kind of be ignorant and be allowed to continue to mm -hmm. make those jokes. Have a childhood. Yeah, they're allowed to have childhoods. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I think that we can empower those children to do more and that comes with like responsible school boards that see that children mm -hmm. are powerful and children's voices are mm -hmm. powerful and even like martin luther king understood that when he had children's marches in 1963 in birmingham like you can mobilize the youth even if mm -hmm. they are not at the voting age i think yeah. that like little kids are the most eager to learn and they're the most like they're the ones that are going to be able to, like, um, learn and accept other people's ideas the most. Like, you, a lot of people talk about how, like, little kids can't understand, like you guys talked about. But then, like, you look at, like, videos like the TikTok that Cameron was talking about where the little kid was like, oh, Mrs. or, like, Mr. blah, blah, blah. But then they corrected themselves. And I think it's really, like, heartwarming to see that, like, little kids have the capability to um learn and like apply what they learn I guess like a lot of adults you see they're kind of just stuck in their ways and they are very stubborn to like learn about other people's ideas or accept the experiences of others but I think it's really nice that kids are able to do that I think something that's really important is like representation in like for little kids because like Growing up, like, all the TV shows and movies and, like, books we read and, like, whatever, like, all the media we consumed was, like, overwhelmingly white. Um, and, like, you don't really see, like, representation for, like, people of color or, like, LGBTQ relationships. And I think, like, so much of what we learn nowadays is not necessarily from, like, our immediate, like, our, our life, but it's from, like, media that we watch and consume. Um, and so, like, ugh, I love this example, but, like, growing up, one of my favorite TV shows was Arthur, and, like, they got a lot of backlash because, like, was Mr. Ratburn, oh. like, they had, like, a gay wedding, and, so like, good. that's, like, so good to see, and, like, I wasn't watching Arthur at that point anymore because <laughs> I was, like, 15, but, like, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, 
anyways um i feel like like seeing representation like that is like important for little kids because they like understand that it's like a real thing like mm-hmm. i remember when i learned that like gay people existed um which is like strange that like i learned that because i don't remember learning that like there were boys and girls um or that like i don't remember learning that like girls like boys or that boys like mm-hmm. girls like but i remember learning about like same-sex marriage um so it's like it's something that like like you they don't have to unlearn their biases mm-hmm. if you don't teach them biases. Yeah, just to like a ten second note on that. I think it's really cool then that someone like JoJo Siwa can come out and oh, yes. her fan base Siwa. are millions of kids, and that she's such an mm-hmm. outreach to them that it's really awesome that mm-hmm. there's that kind of representation. But of course, it would be even cooler if there's more youths like her that represent more different identities because she is very privileged but you know she's something <laughs> like mm-hmm. she, she can be inspiring just... for those students or those kiddos mm-hmm. what advice would you give to people that are hesitant towards getting involved in social issues or anyone in general that wants to become more educated what do you think the easiest way to um get involved is read um observe like i read a lot of articles like over the summer about lots of different things from lots of different people um and maybe that's just because i like reading but i feel like like if you like podcasts there's a lot of like really good activism podcasts or like there's a lot of like tv shows or documentaries like i i feel like the resources are out there and i think educating yourself is like the easiest and like the first step any activist should take And, like, continuously, obviously, continuously educate yourself. Yeah, I would really agree with that. I think that with... I kind of wrote down, like, three steps that I think are kind of must-dos. But in the immediate... Like, if you are listening to this or um, if anyone is thinking about being an activist, I think that the first step really is just taking a step back and seeing what kind of privilege you have and identifying that and then realizing that you need to break down some of those those barriers that um, benefit you but then may harm other people. I think also, Emily, your point about like continuing to re-educate and keeping that work without burning out is really important because if you you know, watch 13th, which is a documentary about the 13th Amendment and how um, slavery still exists in America. That's a really emotional documentary. And then after that, you might just be like, okay, racism solved. I am no longer racist against black people. Yeah. But if you really want to continue that kind of work and, um, it's really important, of course, to listen to those doc- those heartbreaking stories, but you also need to surround yourself with uplifting stories about other cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think part of burning out is that you get bogged down in the trauma of it all, and it's really hard exposing yourself to that or even experiencing that if you're a person um, who's marginalized in some way. So I think having that kind of balance is really important. I think, at least for me, I try to do something daily, you know, whether that's listening to a podcast while doing my skincare or brushing my teeth, or whether that means watching a video essay during lunch when I'm not really doing anything. It's just kind of 
a background thing that can still help you be better, even if that doesn't mean that you're constantly taking steps. You could still self-care while also helping other people in a small way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I guess I'll go. Um, I think social media can be a really powerful tool, especially for people who are just getting started in activism. Because, like, obviously you have to be, like, very aware of the media you're consuming and like the biases that might have been like that like the creator has or something um and like looking at the whole picture but I do think that like social media is a really like easy way to like start um just because there's so many people there and there's like a lot of resources and it's like it's like a place like it's like a centralized place Mm -hmm. yeah social media like connects everybody um, I think a lot of people think that, like, by being an activist, you have to be, like, going to protests and, like, strapping yourself to trees. <laughs> but, like, like Cameron said at the beginning of this, I think activism starts with, like, educating yourself. And, like, a big part of educating yourself is just listening to the people that you want to use your voice to um, help uplift like being an active listener is very important and I think that's the best place to start. Okay. Full circle. <laughs> I think that I would just add on to Emily's point that with social media, it's a really helpful tool, but that you can be aware of what kind of content you're consuming. Like with your For You page, I think that it's easy mm-hmm. to get stuck in feedback loops where you're only seeing white creators, but mm-hmm. If you notice that you're not getting a lot of content from certain people, you could break that loop and search up people or just try to expand what you're exposed to because otherwise we can kind of fall into stereotyping or making generalizations if we're never Mm -hmm. exposed to people, whether that's through learning about the the trauma that's happening in a community or the harm that's happening or that's just like watching someone be funny and have a giggle like we have to see people whether that's on an emotional basis or that's just like physically seeing someone and that just helps us create better associations and try to break down those biases okay before we end the episode we'd like to offer a few resources for educating yourself on black history and anti-racism since february is black history month so we will list all these links in the description of the podcast episode but just to read them off um there's like blacklivesmatter.card co i'm sure every people like usually have it in their bio on social media and stuff and then um there uh, there's some google docs with resources and action you can take and then blacklivesmatter.com um www.pdresources.com um issues in the world.cardco and then eight ways um students can support the blm movement and then justiceinjune.org and cameron if you want to talk about that you can yeah i could explain justice in june Um, I found this organization, um, I think, in early May of 2020, and what I found about it is that um, it's a really great resource hub where every day of, um, like, it was meant to be used in June, but it can kind of apply to any 
point in your time mm-hmm. in your life um and every day has a certain set of resources that's for different amounts of time commitments that you have so i'm pretty sure the times that they have are 10 minutes 25 minutes and an hour so that could mean just like reading an article every day or maybe even watching part of a documentary it's just a way to kind of expose yourself to specifically black and anti-racist resources but um a lot of other like google documents ex- like this exist where you could kind of just like do a little bit of activism every day and it's not too overwhelming and also there's um lots of like great instagram accounts um i know we were talking about like um school curriculum so one of like a great account that i follow is at diversify your narrative and they have like a bunch of great um info on that site so i would recommend giving them a follow on instagram so yeah so enjoy this is the music that plays after this um and have a great rest of your day and stay or night or afternoon And stay tuned for more episodes. And see you next time on Out the Cocoon.